Yeah, we got so many things going on this morning. We got child sponsorship, Horizon International is here, the Kiosk Choir is here, Charles Standback is here with me up on stage. Uh, if you're new with us, welcome. Like I've said, we've had so many hundreds of guests over the last three months of moving to this facility. Last week, there were 1,259 people that worshiped with us through those three services. And more importantly, in the last four weeks, we've seen 54 people give their lives to Christ. It's an awesome time for what God's um, doing. And I believe that those stats represent real people. But they're just stats. What what we desire to share with you this morning over these two weeks is to describe to you who we are as a church. You see, if you're new at this, this, this began in a living room, all right, and just a few years ago. And what has happened over that time, I want to tell you, is not because of great planning or because the leadership is the best leadership you have ever seen. It is simply because God is real, he is living and active, and when we get out of the way, he shows up. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, or you're here and you're an atheist, or an agnostic, or you're searching out the things of God, welcome. And I want to ask the question to us this morning as we kick off a two-week series describing who we are as a church, is this. What should a healthy American church look like today? Now, I bet if we asked each of us individually, we'd probably have like a different response to that, wouldn't we? I've been doing this for a while. I know we would. And so what I want to share with you is just simply who we are and our three-pronged discipleship model for the local church. That today in a generation in American culture where, look, you don't have to like be a statistician to understand this. Most people see that there is a genuine lack of discipleship and an apathy towards mission, when we say mission, we mean helping those in need and sharing our faith, and Western culture as a whole today. And yet we are seeing the opposite of that happen. And I believe it's because we're living out the principles that we're going to study here together. In particular, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Acts chapter 4. I want you to turn in Acts chapter 4 to verse 29. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And let me tell you the story of what's happening here. So last week, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He rises from the grave. People can't believe it. Word spreads. Before you know it, these 11 plus the hundreds who knew about Jesus now turns into thousands. Peter, in one day, preaches a message, and 3,000 people come to know their Savior and Lord in their native language. Before that, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he told us to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That as Christians, we are called to minister to our local community, to our state and region and our country, and to go to the very ends of the earth to tell people the good news of Jesus. And so these disciples, they set out to actually live that out. They start getting together weekly like we are today. We're going to even share communion like they did in Acts chapter 2 at the very end, verses 42 to 47. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have already, anybody know the story? They've already got themselves in trouble. Like the ruling authority, the Sanhedrin, had essentially thrown them into prison. They've been brought before this ruling council, and so after they come back out before the Sanhedrin to report to them, they naturally said, we are very sorry, we will never do this again, we will go back and do what a normal person would do. No. No. 
They go before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4, and they, they say, Why, how did you heal this guy that was lame? Not that he wasn't cool, like he couldn't walk. Like, how did you heal him? And Acts 4 says it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they said, we attest to this because it is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection that we are able to do the things that we do. And rather than getting more quiet about it, they get more bold in their faith. And then here's what happens. They, they get out of jail. And I would have thought if it was me and you and I was like, man, I got thrown into jail for saying that I believe in Jesus, I would just stop talking about it. No. Look at verses 29 to 31 in Acts chapter 4. This is what they do. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with what? Great boldness. Do you know we almost named this church Moxie Church? That's true. Aren't you glad we didn't do that? That's a terrible name for a church. But it means to have guts, to live boldly. And in suburban American Midwestern culture, we can sometimes be a cultural Christian rather than living out the mission of Jesus in our lives. And so they pray for great boldness. Boldness got them in trouble, but they pray for more of it. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, get this, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And I can never prove this, and I still don't know what to do about it, and I'm a left brain thinker, so I don't like even talking about this. But the first time we moved from the school we were in, and we had about 120 people, we moved over to this little building on College Avenue for our worship services, and we had our second birthday celebration there. And we had the most people we'd ever had come out, and we crammed them all into a little lobby, which literally, if you guys remember the lobby, it's like the size of a large closet. And there in the closet lobby, we baptized 12 people in a horse trough. It's fun times. And I'm telling you, to this day, I, didn't, I don't know what happened, but when we baptized those 12 people, that, anybody remember this? Raise your hand if you remember this. That lobby shook. It literally shook. I wasn't thinking, oh, the Spirit of God has shown up. This is amazing, everyone. No, I was thinking, someone call an engineer. There's something wrong with the building. We've broken something. We actually got an engineer to look at it. They could never find anything wrong with the building. So to this day, I can't explain it. But do you believe that God shows up powerfully sometimes when we are unafraid and unapathetic in our faith? That's our desire as a church. And so this morning, through our little logo, the circle and triangle, you see it, and it's got like the flux capacitor in the middle of it. We're going to share with you our vision for who we are as a church and how we do discipleship, following Jesus up in and out, being rooted in Christ. And as we do that, you see, my fear when we started this church was not whether God had called us to it. We knew that. Was not whether he would show up and fulfill his promises. I just, I'm telling you, it's one of those things we knew he would. Uh, my greatest fear throughout this entire four and a half year ride has been what kind of church will we become when God's favor is strongly upon us? Because that matters. And unfortunately, in our culture today, we don't always do it well. You see, we don't just want to see 54 people give their life to Christ on a Sunday worship service. We want to see people who are genuinely discipled be sent out as mission agents into the world to live in community, making an impact to empower them that it's not just a few super Christians that do everything in a local church. 
Rather than having cooler worship services in an egocentric church, we hope to actually become an unapologetic, passionate church that loves sinners and helps those in need. That's our desire. And so I ask you this question, and then we'll pray. Do you live your faith out boldly? And do you love deeply? It's on our website. It's on the doors we walk through. I'll ask you, do you believe that? Do you live that? Will you pray with me? God, as we talk about these things, I imagine some of us in the room, the truth is we know uh, that we don't. And rather than being discouraged or feeling down or bitter about the things that Charles is going to discuss here, may it be a challenge to us. May you spur us on towards love and good deeds. God, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room. We got people from around the world here with us this morning. We all have come together to worship you. We put you at the center this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. Charles is going to do some teaching now, but I just want to share this with you. Do you remember when you were 15? 15 was fun. Wasn't any 15-year-olds here? When I was 15 was the first time I gave my life to Christ. And what happened over the next couple of years was I never saw much life change. In fact, at one time, I was convinced at 17 that God wanted me to start a, a fellowship of Christian athletes in the local high school. Anybody ever heard of that? And so I rallied about, yeah, come on now. I rallied about 30 or 40 high school students together. And we all went in at like 7.30 in the morning and waited in the principal's office to tell her, we're going to start this FCA whether you like it or not. She walked into the office and we were like, we want to start this and you can't stop us. She goes, okay. You want to start? We don't stop people from starting school clubs. Go ahead. Six weeks later, after trying to start it, I gave up. You ever done that in your faith? You have this up relationship with God that Charles is going to talk about and you give up? I want to, I'm going to stop there for just a moment because eventually I want to share with you what happens after you get past the giving up stage. Will you welcome Charles as he dives into following Jesus up in and out? I, I appreciate that, Josh. Um, thank you very much. So Josh mentioned living boldly and loving deeply. How do we do that? How do we actually tactically go and do that? We're going to talk about three steps and three ways we need to follow Jesus. That's our model on living boldly and loving deeply. First way we're going to follow Jesus is up in a fully functioning, loving relationship with God. The next we're going to follow Jesus in. That's through discipling and being discipled through discipleship. And then the third way we're going to follow Jesus is out. And that's with intentional mission, living a life on mission, sharing God's love. You see, I did that with that triangle. Did everybody get that? All right, perfect. <laughs> it was well done, man. That's a nice sweater, too. I didn't tell Thank you that you. earlier. You're looking Thank sharp. You. I imagine my wife bought it for me at some <laughs> point in time. I bet she so did. She, she had to have. Um, so turn with me to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, and we'll get right into this. But let me ask you a question as you're turning. Hopefully, we can multitask. If I asked you, do you love God? Do you love the Lord? Most of our responses would be, yes, yeah, I love God. I love the Lord, right? 
as most of us as Christians, you know, we've, we've, we've been conditioned to give that response. I love Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I love the Lord, etc. But have you truly thought about that? Have you truly thought about what it means actually to love God? Let's read what Matthew 27, 30, 22, 37 has to say. Now, Jesus is being tested at this time, so I'm going to give you just a little bit of context. Jesus is being tested. What's the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus obviously always giving great answers. This was his reply. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is the first and greatest commandment. So for those of you like me who said, yes, I love the Lord, at least we've said it, right? We're on our way. We've said we love the Lord. But do we live it? Do we live our life in devotion to the Lord, actually loving the Lord, or do we just say it? Do we just have that feeling of, yes, I love the Lord? Do we put our love into action? Now, Josh has taught me a lot over the past four and a half years. One thing he's done and he's very good at is looking at the literal meaning and diving deeper into the verse. Oh, yeah, I did say that. I you just did. wanted to make yes. sure. You did okay. say that. And, and he pronounces Greek much better than I. But many of us have heard the Greek word agape. This agape is a Greek word for love, which is the unconditional, unwavering love that God has for all of us. That's not the word that is used here, even though it's the same word love. The word used here is agapao. Now, let's go back to third grade grammar. Parts of speech here. Hopefully, you guys, I want you guys to follow me. Agape is a noun, person, place, or thing, a thing. Agape is love, a noun. Agapao is a verb, an action statement. So what Jesus is saying here is to love the action of loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, not just have the feeling of love. It's, it's kind of like this, right? I can have glue right? But then I can also glue some things together. Like I used to put glue on my hand and then let it dry and then peel it off. Did anybody do that in, in no. grammar class? I used to do it all the time. It was the coolest thing. Wait, I saw a bunch of people raise your hands. You, used to... <laughs> you think that's What odd? is wrong with the people in this room? We did that Explains all the time. We did that all the time. But to first glue my hand, I needed glue. I needed the substance of glue before I could do the action verb glue. Now, follow me. To be able to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and follow this first greatest commandment, you need to first accept God's love. Now, that may sound simple, but let's think about this. If, if God truly, really loved me, all those bad things that happened to me, the pain, the suffering, the hurt that I've endured, he wouldn't have put me through that if he really loved me. God, God can't love me. Do you know how much dirt I've done? Do you know how much wrong I've done? Do you, do you see my track record? There's, there's no way God can love a guy like me. Or for some of us, it might be, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best Christian, right? I'm not, I don't do this, I don't do that. You know, I'm not worthy enough for God's love. 
That's the point of his agape love. That's the point of his now, is that he is love, and he loves you unconditionally. It's not deserved. No one can deserve God's love. It's not earned. You can't do enough works. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't give enough money. You can't do this. You cannot achieve God's love. More importantly, it's not based on your circumstances, whether you're going through good times or bad times, whether you do wrong, do good. God loves you unconditionally. But it's up to you to accept God's love in your heart. So now that we've got the basis, right, I need to accept God's love for me to now turn and do the action of loving God. Let me ask you another question. Okay. Would you rather somebody love you out of obligation or because of what you do for them? Or would you want somebody to love you for you? I struggle with this a lot myself, right? I'm thinking, okay, Charles. Talk to myself in third person. I call myself Charles. Charles, you can do this, but you probably shouldn't because God's going to punish you. Versus, Charles, you love God. You want to honor him. Let's not do this because of your love for God. Those of us who said, yes, yes, I love the Lord. What do our actions say? Are we loving the Lord out of, out of obligation or out of fear that, we, that something's going to go wrong? Or because we want to live an easy life. Hey, if I love God, all these things will be easy for me. Here's another question. Can you love someone that you don't spend time with, that you don't enjoy being around, that you don't enjoy talking to? I'm not going to be another guy up here saying, you need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more, you need to go to church more. But let's think about this logically, right? If I'm to show the action verb what Jesus commanded me to do, my love to God, how can I show love to someone that I don't spend time with, I don't spend quality time with. I can love the feeling, the noun, people who I never see, never talk to, et cetera. I've got relatives who pass who I love, but I can't show them my love. It's essential that you spend time communicating, being in God's presence, understanding what he has for you. Now, let me give you an example of that, right? So turn with me to Luke 2242. Remember when I said, you know, up in and out, Jesus is going to give us an example. We need to follow Jesus up. Jesus spent countless hours praying in communication to God. Right? This verse, Luke 2242, was on the night that he was going to get betrayed. He was going to be imprisoned. This would ultimately lead to his death. What's he spending his time doing? He's with the one he loves. He's communicating to God. Now, as I read this, I thought, okay, Charles, you got three days to live. What are you going to be doing? What are you going to spend your time doing? You know, are you going to go out, have a big party with your friends? You're going to hang out with your family. What are you going to do? Where are you going to spend your time with? Who do you love? Jesus spent his time in communication with God. Now, let's read Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. Father, If you're willing, take this cup from me. Father, I've got some heavy, heavy things coming up in these next three days, right? 
If you're willing, take this cup from me. But follow what he says immediately after that. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, Jesus wasn't confused, right? He always knew the mission, his mission here on earth. But what he was doing was giving us an example. He was right, the verse says, a stone's throw away from his disciples. He was showing us what it looks like to love God. What it looks like to say, God, I have my desires for my life. I've got things that I want to do. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. God, I've got time, I've got things I want to spend my time on. I've got things I want to spend my money on. I've got things I want to spend my, I've got things I want to do with my life. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That's the act of loving God. That's what Jesus is saying is the greatest commandment. So to first be able to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you need to first believe and accept God's love. Second, love in action. Just having a feeling of love is not enough. You need to put that love in action. And third, are you willing to love with your all? The verse says, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. If you really love someone, spending time with them, being in their presence is not a chore. Josh. Hey, can we thank Charles? I love it, man. Thank you for sharing that. He's going to share a little bit more in a moment. Uh, by the way, anybody getting hot in here? Yes, it is hot. Look, we want to fix that. Someone in the back, fix that for us. The magic workers in the back. Uh, we're going to get I'm the AC going. I'm going to sweat up. You got the sweater I'm on, man. I'm nice sweater. I yes. feel bad for you. <laughs> I made a better choice than I thought. Here, here's the thing. Um, I love, as Charles shared that, uh, our vertical relationship with, with God. The problem is, when we talk about not our will, but his will, like, that's not fun. <laughs> I, told, I said this the first service. is kind of harsh, but, like, I... I hate that. I don't want to take that verse out because that's not the fun part. And here's what I've experienced. So I told you when I was 15, I accepted Christ. My life didn't change until I was a 19-year-old college student. And the difference was as I was finding myself in relationship with other people who really believed and followed Jesus, they connected me with somebody who actually answered my questions. I'm noticing the AC is not getting fixed. So if someone find Luke Edgerton, wrap your arms around him, steal his keys, fix the, who wants to see the air conditioner fixed in this room immediately? We want it now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking. For those online, it's not that hot in here. <laughs> kind of hot. But, but it, it's a lot more fun that way. Here, here's the thing. Like, I actually began to find somebody, a youth pastor. His name was Steve Myers in the small town this college was in, and I just started asking my questions. You notice the, the second thing that Jesus does when it talked about loving God, that we also love others, and we divide that into two categories, loving people in the Christian community and loving people outside of that community. And uh, John chapter 13, verse 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if what? You love one another. You ever notice in churches sometimes we're pretty good about loving people outside of the Christian community? Yeah, like, like people we don't know because it's easier to love people that you don't know. 
And we're going to talk a lot about that as we get to the final point this morning, how we can love people all over the world. But sometimes for Christians, the hardest thing is actually to love each other. And you see churches and Christian communities that bicker and fight over all these small secondary issues instead of just loving Jesus together. And so if you look at how Jesus actually did his life, he didn't just go out and do mission. He had times with just the 12 or with just the three, Peter, James, and John. And he invested in those individual lives. As Christians, we have to do a better job at this. The word disciple is methetus. And it means, it literally means learner. Rabbi is teacher, disciple is learner. And so you are a learner of the one who is discipling you, of your teacher. The interesting thing is, when you look at the way that Jesus did discipleship, it's not how most of us in American church culture do it. Right? Like, he, he didn't go, hey, guys, okay, here's what we're going to do. For the next three years, we're going to get together, we're going to have a Bible study weekly. It's going to be great. We're going to have food beforehand. We may even, like, pray for each other. And then you'll be disciples. That's not what he did at all if you don't know the Bible. He taught the Bible, absolutely. We are firmly rooted in Scripture, and we'll talk about that this morning at the end. But he actually taught them not just about the Bible, but how to live the Bible out. Think of Jesus, how Jesus did discipleship. Did it look like a giant Bible study or more like a relational investment in the way that the Bible was actually lived? Uh, at Mercy Road, we have a particular way we do discipleship. It's at least a one-year commitment. You can't sign up for it. It's very offensive, actually, because if you think of how Jesus did discipleship, it was offensive. It wasn't a program. You couldn't sign up for it. He didn't even invite the educated leaders in their community. He invited 12 uneducated, some of them fishermen, to come and follow him. And that set off a chain reaction that led to hundreds, thousands, millions, and today over two billion people who claim faith in Jesus. And so for us, discipleship is the fulcrum of all that we do. And our particular way of doing it, we raised up 11 uh, discipleship leaders for all of last year. We launched the 11 new uh, discipleship huddles in uh, January. By this fall, we're anticipating launching 30 more discipleship huddles out of those huddles. And over the course of the next two to three years, we will have discipled enough people that we will organically be discipling thousands of people. It's a slow process. It's a little frustrating. And so we've noticed that there is one way that we can help uh, those of you, the many of you who have given your life to Christ and aren't ready for it to be discipled in a year-long commitment just yet, we've got a foundational thing that we're going to be starting that I'll be sharing in the very end. But follow Jesus up, our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, that represents our worship service, that we're going to follow Jesus in, that we want to do discipleship really well, which is our organic discipleship huddles. And then finally, number three, we want to follow Jesus out, which represents our outposts who live on mission. One more time, welcome Charles up here as he shares this last one. So again, to recap, following the triangle, we've got the in, follow Jesus in, right? Actually, follow Jesus up. This is up, not in. Follow Jesus up, follow Jesus in. Now we're going to talk about following Jesus out. Turn with me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Earlier, we talked about the greatest commandment. We're going to talk now about the 
greatest commission, the great commission. That's what this verse is referred to as. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, wouldn't it have been convenient if Jesus said, stay where you are, stay where you're comfortable, I'll send people to you, all you need to do is greet them, then pass them off to the super Christians, and they'll do everything, everything else that needs to be done. Mm, yeah, I like that one. That would have been convenient. But he says, go, go and make disciples. He's giving us a mission to go and do something. Now, let's go back to third grade grammar here. The sentence, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What is the subject of that sentence? You. There we go. You. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. Again, wouldn't it have been convenient if Jesus had just said, hey, 11 disciples that are with me right now, or maybe the 500 that are, are, are with us here, I just want you guys and you guys only to go and make disciples. But what's key about this verse, and, and Jesus, every single word he speaks is intentional. In verse 20, he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That you, you go, therefore you go, that's for all of us. It's not just for the super Christians. It's not just those who are called to be missionaries. It's not just called those who are called to preach or to minister. It is for all of us. Teach, baptize. That's for every single one of us. The question is, are you willing to live your life on a mission? Are you willing to follow the Great Commission? The awesome thing about Mercy Road and the awesome thing that has been done intentionally is that we have a variety of different ministries. Again, if the Great Commission is, is for you to call to go, to be on mission, to minister, you've got opportunities to do that here. I think about Rich, who was here earlier, and some of us have heard Rich's story. He likes pro wrestling. He likes God. How do I combine pro wrestling and God, right? And he did it. You think about something like pub theology. Okay, I've got a bar. I've got God. Can God reach people in bars? He definitely can. He definitely can. So many of our other ministries, and, and there's very different interests that you all have. There's different things that you can influence people. There's different ways for you to go out and live on mission. This, this is kind of the easy part, right? For me to be talking to you all here at church, you guys are here willing to listen. How much more difficult is it to go out and talk to that person that, Maybe you disagree with politically or you, they're an atheist or, or have some different feelings than you are. How much more difficult is it to go out and minister to them? Say, I think about Tenora, Tenoria with uh, her food ministry or, or Christine with the Dada Line Divas. A lot of those started here with outposts. You have a foundation with the outposts, our small groups here, that launch different ministries. So what I want you to do is really truly think about 
What are you interested in? What are your hobbies? Who do you connect with? How does it look for you to go out of these four walls and share your faith? And it's the same for me, too, because sometimes I, I literally I make excuses, right? I think about a story. I've got a, a quick story for you. Uh, Wednesday, I was at lunch with my wife. We had just got done closing our house. We've been in this house for 10 years. Uh, we just got done with the closing, signed the paperwork. Everything was great. Took my wife out to lunch to celebrate. Right before we eat, I pray this prayer. I say, yeah, God, thank you for everything going smoothly. And I said these words almost verbatim. I said, God, please use our new house for your glory. Now, sounded like a cool Christian thing to say at the time, right? But less than two hours later, literally less than two hours later, I get a call from Becca Berry. And Becca says, hey, Charles, the Kuyasa kids are coming in town. Some of them need a place to stay. Would you be willing to volunteer your house? So my first response, just like it always is, when anybody asks me a question, you ask me a question, I'm probably going to say this response. Let me talk to my wife, Rochelle, first, and then I'll get back to you. You're a smart man. It does. It does two things for me. It literally does. It does two things for me. One, gives me time to think about the request so I can kind of process things without just being asked a question on the fly. And then two, if I'm going to bring people over to the house, the good husbandly thing to do is to make sure my wife is prepared and is okay with it. Now, even before asking my wife, even before talking to her, I started thinking about, well, eh, Saturday night, I could go do this, I could go do that, et cetera. Again, starting to be selfish. And then I thought, remember that prayer you just prayed two hours ago? You said, God, use my house for your glory. Here's an opportunity to do so. And all you have to do is open the door. So we had seven <laughs> ladies stay there. with us last night in addition to my four ladies. So we had a house full last night, and we had a great time. And I'm so blessed for the opportunity to do that. I see how much more God has blessed us and our family because of that. But all we had to do was open the door. Think about some areas in your life where you could open the door and just reach out. It may be as simple as just having guests at your house, but what, who in your sphere of influence, who can you connect with, share your faith with, share God's love? We talked about loving God. How do we share that out? It's not done in here. You don't have to fly halfway across the world. You can go right across the street. But what does opening the door look like for you in your life? I love it. Thanks again, Charles. He, he didn't mention that he slept on the floor last night <laughs> in order to give up his bed to his wife and kids as they packed off so many kids into their house. How cool is that? Um, and you still spoke fluently this morning. I'm very impressed, Charles. You see, oh, because of sleep. <laughs> Why would I not speak fluently? But I got yeah, it. It's it better than normal. Second. I'll just say that. It took me a second. <laughs> um, We've known each other for a long time, and I'm so excited for how God has been working in their family's life over the last five years. And what I want to share with you next as we wrap this up is every time you look at our logo, we want you to think about who we are as a church. 
originally just represented the Trinity, but the triangle of it was the original logo that we want to follow Jesus now up, in, and out. And that represents three things for us programmatically, and that is this. We want to do our worship services Sundays, the up, really well. We want to do our organic discipleship huddles really well, the in. And we want to do our outposts, which are a little different than a typical small group. They are missional communities. They are communities on mission that are out making a difference and an impact in the world. Those are the three things we want to do really, 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 really well. And what we've had to avoid in order to do that is we're putting our resources where our mouth is. If there is a lack of discipleship and mission in the church, it has to be represented with the way that we run the church. And so while we have ministries to uh, marriage ministry, um, we're growing an addiction ministry, we're, we've had some sports ministry, and all the other typical ministries you would see as a church as we grow into a larger and larger church, all of them are all volunteer-driven or done through partnerships with other ministries. We ask a, a local outpost to partner with that. In fact, this morning, if you were here and you want to join an outpost or you want to start an outpost, we are looking for an outpost that will be an advocate for AIDS orphans in Africa through Horizon International. If you want to start that outpost, if you want to join one and, and ask them to bring that on as their mission, let us know. We need that. That's how it works for us. It's not the super Christians that make all the decisions. We have empowered our local outposts to make decisions. They can even apply for matching grants of up to $2,000. We even had one apply for more, and they were able to match that one. We believe in the power of you to actually follow Jesus up in and out and live on mission. And we're putting our resources behind that. It means that we have to make decisions to limit the staff and how much we spend on facility. How many noticed the brand new landscaping when you came in this morning? Doesn't look awesome? Those flowers are going to be blooming, baby. They're going to look beautiful. I want you to hear this. We delayed doing anything with the landscaping because we just were like, man, we got so many things we want to give money away to. Somebody actually donated all of that landscaping. Three of them came in in the freezing cold wind yesterday, installed all of that completely free for us. Isn't that cool? And we believe that God actually created you to live on mission together, that the church today needs to be seen less as a Sunday destination and more as a discipleship engine for producing bold mission agents of Jesus. Do you believe that? I've even got a slide for that. I want to put that one up to be bold mission agents of Jesus because that's what we are called to do. The church today needs to be seen less as a Sunday destination and more as a disciples. There it goes. Nice job. I skipped ahead because I just want to wrap this up. Here is how we are going to do that. We're going to follow Jesus up in and out. Anybody notice we added a circle to the logo a while back? How many of you noticed that? Like, no one, nobody cared, right? You didn't notice it. Um, we added that, and we did partially because we thought it looked cool, but also because we now that represents for us, as we follow Jesus up in and out, we must be fully rooted in Christ. We want people to understand and know the biblical worldview. Scripture is important. I believe it's true 2,000 years ago, and it's true for us today. We are challenging you. And I mean this, like straight up challenging you, like double dog daring you that this morning you might prayerfully consider if you are not currently in an outpost to join our Wednesday night 10-week uh, 
a rooted class. Today, out at the Connect Center, you can pick this up for $15. It's the cost of the entire class. There is free childcare. It begins April 20th, that Wednesday night at 7 p.m. The class will go an hour and a half each night. Myself and Pastor Nick Sefton are going to invest our time and energy to leading this the first time around. And so please, 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 we want you to wipe us out of these. We have hundreds of these this morning that you might consider joining this 10-week class about what does it mean to be rooted in Christ. The cool thing is this was developed by pastors in North Africa and that the American church is now adapting to it. And it's cool how God works sometimes. And as we wrap up that last part, I do want to tell you, every time you look at the circle, that you remember that we are rooted in Christ, and we follow Jesus up in and out. For those of you who are in an outpost, we are asking all of our outposts for those same 10 weeks, the sermon series will go with it, that you also would go through this book, wipe us out of them. If you're currently doing a study, stop it. It's not a good one. This one's better. Uh, take this. No, seriously, you might consider joining the whole church so we can be united on this. Uh, Sunday, April 17th, we will kick off the whole thing. It's exciting time to follow Jesus together, up in and out, to be rooted fully in Christ. Our desire is that we don't just believe God exists, that we produce professional Christians who entertain people and programize people, but we actually see the local church empower Christians, unleash the Spirit of God through the gifts of all believers to be used in the local community. And that's how we've seen lives changed. And that's our desire to continue to see happen. Will you pray with me? God, For those of us this morning that maybe we've been around church for a while, maybe we have sat in seats for years, maybe we are new to following Jesus, we are one of the 54 people that committed our lives to you in the last 40 weeks. God, like I was when I was 15, may we not just see it given up on. May we truly be discipled and live on mission. May we get rooted in you. May we attend that class, God. May we use the gifts and talents and abilities you have given us to make a difference in the world. Lord, we come to you, and some of us right now, we need to get up out of our seat and live as a bold mission agent for you, Jesus. You created us for it. It is the most meaningful thing we will ever do with our lives. If that is you here this morning, I want you to pray this prayer silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I've known about you. I've given my life to you. I'm going to heaven when I die but I'm just sitting around waiting and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to get up out of the seat and I'm going to make a difference to my Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like the early Christians, may I live my faith out boldly and may I love people deeply, unapologetically. And so on this morning, April 3rd, 2016, I commit not just my life to you, but everything to your lordship. Use everything I have, God, for your purposes. We love you. We praise you. We surrender our lives in this church too. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.